So if you have your Bible, you want to open up to John chapter 12, we will continue on in our series called The Word. Study of the book of John. Last week, largely we talked about dying to ourself. Right? I tried to make a squirm as much as I could with some of the texts that I brought up, brought up that, that we need to die to ourselves, what it means to be a fully committed follower of Christ. If Christ purchased our salvation, if he paid our debt, if he went to the cross and he atoned for our sin, he also purchased all of us, the ugly, the bad, but also the good. Have you ever had someone ask you to do something that they would never do themselves? There is somebody like come up to you and be like, hey, I need a favor, I need you to do something that they would never do themselves. How annoying is that, right? How, like to have somebody like want you to do something that they themselves wouldn't do. They want you to do the job, you, they, you to do the task, but they would never actually do it themselves. Well, Jesus isn't like that. See, Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the one who came. He was that seed that went into the ground and died of first fruits. And if we are to follow him, we too are going to be called to come and die. I shared that quote from John Piper last week. My dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. I love that. That Christ dying for our salvation is also his design for us, his people, to imitate him. See, Jesus' entire life, the living of his life, his earthly ministry here on earth, was entirely to the Father's will. It was entirely to the Father. Like, when he, like, at the beginning of his ministry, right, and he's, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples, he's like, when you pray, pray like this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, O God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus didn't start dying by climbing the hill of Calvary. Jesus didn't start dying by climbing up upon that cross. He started dying by putting on flesh and dwelling among us. He started dying by saying yes to the Father's will, becoming a servant of all. He started dying by understanding uh, that, that he was going to have to say yes to the cross, but it started by saying yes in every day. I think about life. So many times in life, like when I'm talking with teenagers, back when I was doing youth ministry, you know, teenagers, I think we, we, have a, we, have, we don't understand the significance of the small moments of life. We don't understand the significance of small decisions. We don't understand the significance of um, how consistency in small things ends up leading to huge things down the road, right? When you're a teenager, you think, oh, everything's just, you need that one big dramatic decision, that one big dramatic moment. But like for you and I, like to discover the will of God, right? It seems to be that big dramatic nugget, that golden nugget, that thing that I need to attain, the will of God. But it's much simpler than that. See, Jesus didn't, didn't start by going to the cross. He started this day by saying yes to the Father. Then he got up the next day and said yes to the Father. And he got up the next day and said yes to the Father. I will obey your will. Same thing for each one of us. We want to die to ourselves. It's not in some big, dramatic, 
monumental thing. It's in this moment today, yes to the Father. This day, this day, this day, the next day, yes, God, I will obey your word. Jesus doesn't tell us how to live and then tell us how we should die. He shows us in his actions, saying yes to the Father's will, dying to himself daily. Yes, it led him to the cross. He shows us how to live and how to die. He is the first fruits. He did it first and showed us how it's done. He said yes to the Father every day, day after day, and it led him to the most glorious of places. It led him to the cross. This week I read Philippians chapter 2 again, and uh, it's a familiar passage. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Um, it talks about Christ being equal, equal with God. didn't count being equal with God, something to be grasped, but that he emptied himself. And he became obedient. And then this one part hit me in a different way this time. It says that he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. Like to that point, obedient to such a degree that it led him all the way to the cross by saying yes today, yes the next day, yes the next day, that it led him to a point of saying yes to the cross. That he's the seed that's going to die, go into the ground as we talked about last week, and bear much fruit. And we who love him, we who are called by him, we who have heard his voice and have seen his matchless worth, we, by following and giving up our lives, we exchange those broken lives for his glory, for his eternal life that he offers. So again today, let's read John chapter 12. We're going to go back a few verses before we get into this morning's text. So let's go back to verse 24, and uh, we'll start reading there. This is Jesus again speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's the verses that make it squirm. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And now this is our fresh text for today. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven, and a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Verse 31, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Okay, in these next few verses, we're not really going to get into this morning, but I still want to read them. So the crowd answered, we have heard that the law... We have heard that from uh, heard from the law, excuse me, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest you 
walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, alive in your people, God, open up our eyes to see your matchless worth. To see you for who you really are. To see your cross for what it really is. God, that we would be so filled with gratitude because of who you are and what you've done. God, that we would gladly hand these lives over to you that we would truly be Christians, that we would truly live to the glory of Christ Jesus alone. Help us be your church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember before this, through the Gospels, through Jesus' ministry, oftentimes he was saying things like, the hour has not come. My time has not come yet. Right? It's not yet. It's not yet. It's not yet. Have you ever been on a road trip with some kids? Right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. Okay? Stop. Like, kids have a hard concept of being patient and concept of time, right? I shared this on our road trip. Uh, back when I was a kid, we'd go on our road trip, and it'd be like, Mom, how much longer? She'd be like, uh, two Sesame Streets and a Mr. Rogers. Anybody? That's how you tell time in the car when you're a kid, right? Now, it's, I'm sure it's different shows now because I don't know if anybody watches those shows anymore, but Sesame Street was an hour. Mr. Rogers was a half hour, two Sesame Street, two and a half hours, okay? That's, that's, that's car math for kids. Right? He was saying things like, it's not, that, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. But here in, his, in, the, in our text in, in John chapter 12, he's saying, now is the time. My time has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It is now time. So our text starts today to expound on that a little bit. When you look at verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say then? That, that the Father would deliver me from this moment? No, it's because of this moment. It's for this hour that I have come. This is my purpose. Verse 28, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Verse 31 again says, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It's go time. This is the final week of Christ's life, of his ministry. And today's text is going to give us a glimpse into the significant work that is going to be done through the glorification of Christ in the cross. It is so significant, right? We just, we just came out of Easter. We just came out of Good Friday. We just came out of the resurrection. And so we've talked about this a little bit. But I love the fact that we get to hit this again. Because there was so much beauty in the work of Christ. And in these few verses, it gives us a, a deeper glimpse into what Christ is about to accomplish. Verse 27, let's read it again. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Did you see in verse 31, now is the judgment of the world, the hour, the now of the cross. When we think of judgment, especially like in church circles, when we think of judgment, we think of a final judgment at the end of time. We think of things like Revelation chapter 20, when you're standing before the great white throne, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, right? Their reward is eternal life. Those whose names are not found in the book of life, eternal torment. But in our text today, Jesus says in John chapter 12 that now is the judgment of this world. It's a little confusing on the surface. When you think about the cross and what the cross has done, and how when people are confronted with Christ and his gospel, when people are confronted with Christ and his cross, there is a judgment that comes. The cross of Christ is the, is the decisive dividing line for all of humanity. What do you do with the cross? Jesus comes and he dies upon a tree for the sins of humanity. We were hopeless. We were destined for destruction, sons of disobedience. But by the power of the Spirit, he illuminates, he opens the eyes of the lost to see the beauty of him and to see the beauty of the cross. And those who embrace the cross, those who embrace Christ and his work by faith, receive life and salvation. Those who see the cross any other way, those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are destined for hell eternal. It's pretty judgy, isn't it? Makes us squirm a little bit, doesn't it? You remember back in our text in John chapter 5, a few months ago when we were there. Verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The death of Jesus becomes the, the decisive dividing line in humanity between con the, 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 the condemned, those who are in their sin, those who do not embrace Christ and his cross, and those who have been redeemed. This week in my studies, I came across a Baptist preacher uh, named Alexander McLaren. 
He's a Scottish Baptist preacher. He was alive in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and uh, came across something that he wrote, and he said this. He said, the cross is the magnet of Christianity. You remember playing with magnets as a kid? Magnets were awesome when you were a kid. Like, it was like magic. It was like you had this attraction. You had the, like, you would have, like, if you had a table that was thin enough and you had, like, something on top of the table and you could, like, rub it underneath, right? And the thing's, like, dancing around on the table, like, you're making it move with your mind. It was so fun. It was like magic. The cross of Christ is the magnet. It has the same effect, right? You have this attraction. You have this repelling, depending on which pole is pointed where. When you see this hour, when you see the Christ lifted up on that cross, you're confronted with it. Are you drawn to him, or is it repulsive to you? You see, for some whom the Holy Spirit has, has awakened, for some who the Holy Spirit has given new life, has given the new birth, when you behold the cross of Christ, you see him as light and life. Those who've heard the voice of the Good Shepherd, as we've read about in John chapter 10, and responded in following him. Those who have been awakened and made new by the Holy Spirit himself, like John chapter 3 says. Those who've beheld the cross and drank of its living water, like John chapter 4, and found it more satisfactory, more satiating than anything this world could offer. Those who've beheld Christ and his cross. Those who look upon the cross and have seen the beauty that is found in it. Those who have looked upon the cross and seen the love of God poured out for me. That I've understood the depth of my sin. That I've understood the depth of my evil. That I've, that I've understood the depth of my lostness. But then I had a God who pursued me. Not just in this um, uh, inactive lostness, like I was just out there wandering, but even in my outward rebellion and running, he still pursued me. And when I gaze upon my Christ and I gaze upon his cross, I used to read the scriptures and it, it just seemed like rules. I used to read the scriptures and it just seemed like do's and don'ts. But now I read the scriptures and I see that his precepts and his commands are beautiful. Not some legalistic killjoy. But those who read his precepts and his commands and see that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That the commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. That his words are more precious than pure gold and sweeter than honey. In this regard, the cross is a magnet and draws men to itself draws men to the beauty of Christ. When we've beheld him and beheld the cross, and gladly, wholeheartedly follow him to the point of death, 
death of my will, death of my flesh, the death of me, that he is the surpassing worth when I see the cross for what it really is. I see his love and his glory poured out, that he would die for me. I gladly, gladly surrender in return. That's the beauty and the power of the cross. How many of you know that's not how everyone sees the cross? For others, it's foolishness. The gospel and the cross of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1. It's a threat to their living. For others, they don't see their need of Christ. They don't feel their lostness. They don't feel the depth of their evil and their sin. It's just who I am. I was born this way. So the cross isn't hope. It isn't the most beautiful instrument of grace and love. It's a threat to their perceived freedom. They see Christ not as rescuer and redeemer, not as resurrector and giver of the most abundant life possible. They gaze upon the cross and they gaze upon their Christ and they see him as taker. At the very least, they see him as killjoy, and at the most, they see him as a threat that must be killed. So when they see the cross, the wonderful cross, the cross that bids me come and die and find that I might truly live, they see that cross not as glorious, but it's also like a magnet, but it's repulsive. It's repelling and they push away. See, when Jesus says, now is the time for my glorification, now the Son of Man is going to be glorified, and he's been talking this whole time about going to the cross. He says, now is the judgment. It is all about the way we view Christ and his cross. And likewise, those who are repulsed, those who are rejecting the cross of Jesus Christ, they also re oftentimes reject those who follow Christ. They see them as fools. They look upon Christians, those who follow wholeheartedly, those who have lost their life, given their life over to Christ. They are fools at the least and bigoted, intolerant hate groups at worst. They give off a funny smell. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and, th and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. I love that. I love that phrase. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God, right? It's worship among those who are being saved. So those who are being saved, when we are the fragrance of God to them. And among those who are perishing, verse 15, verse 16, to one who, a fragrance from death to death, to the other fragrance of life to life. Jesus says that now is the hour that the Son of Man will be glorified. Now is the hour when Jesus will finally do what he came to do. 
Now is the time for him to climb the hill of Calvary and take the sins of the world upon him. Now is the time for judgment. My question for us this morning is how do you view the cross? How do you see the cross? We're to take that cross and plunk it right down here. Boom, plunk it down. Do you see it as the glory of Christ? Do you see it as the place where his love for you was poured out? That his grace towards you so beautifully shown? As he took every one of your sins upon himself. And along with it, the full wrath of God. Do you see it as the instrument of Christ's love in life, in giving of his life, the giving of his life for you and me, and that in turn we get the most abundant life possible? Do you see it as lovely? Do you see it as beautiful? When you see Jesus hoisted up on that cross, lifted up from the earth, are you drawn to him? Do you see that beauty? Do you see his matchless worth? Do you see what he has done for you? And have you in turn gladly handed your life over to him? That's the call. That's what it is to be a Christian. Following Christ isn't some magical prayer you pray in your seat on a Sunday morning when the pastor calls for that salvation moment. It might start there. It might be a beautiful, beautiful beginning. But what it means to be a follower of Christ means following him, like we said last week, in his death. And it's not a forced thing, like we talked about on Easter Sunday, right? All hail King Jesus. That King Jesus doesn't come and put his hand on your neck and say, Submit! 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 he shows you the cross and he opens your eyes to behold the cross and what he did for you on that cross and when you see and behold it as such it's beautiful and the most worthy thing that you could ever grab onto have you enthroned Christ as king what have you done with the cross What's funny is oftentimes, at least in face value, the cross seems like a big loss. It seems like the ultimate defeat. Looks like weakness, not triumph. But our text this morning again and Verse 31 says, now is, the t- now is the judgment of this world. Now will, <coughs> excuse me, will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus goes to the cross. And he, and he puts his life on that cross. When he dies that brutal, brutal death and atones for my sin. It's not just my sin, but he renders the enemy of our soul powerless. 
He renders the enemy of our soul powerless. If we struggle with sin in this room, if we are in this room and we are struggling with sin, we have to understand, we have to behold the glory of the cross and that in that, the enemy of our soul was cast down. He was defeated. That sin, death, hell, the grave, right? We know the resurrection came. That the enemy of our soul and our sin has been defeated and there is victory in Christ Jesus. There is life and salvation and there is victory in every moment because of the cross of Christ. Again, I ask you, how do you view the cross? You see, there are some people in this room that I fear see it as foolishness. That see it as a threat. That see Christ's glorious death as not something beautiful for them. That beautiful, that they're redeeming, that they're resurrecting power that is in the cross. But that it's just a demand for us to give up everything. That we're still viewing God as taker and not the giver of life. And the cross, and in the cross, he gave it all, and he gives it all to us. He gave it all for us. Today, as we wrap up, and as we conclude, I want to ask you one more time, what do you do with the cross? What have you done with the cross? How do you view the cross? Have you seen the majesty of Christ, the glory of Christ in his work for you? Have you in turn trusted him with your life? That's our call this morning. That's our call this morning to follow him in his death and receive the abundant life that Christ offers. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go to a time of worship and song. And I would ask that if you're in this room today, And maybe the cross of Jesus Christ was foolishness. But today, maybe Christ is opening your eyes. He's opening your eyes to the beauty of who he is and what he has done for you. Today's your day of salvation. Today's your day to confess your need of Christ and to place your faith in him. Let's bow our head and let's close our eyes. Put in this room. And I just want to sit in the silence of this moment together. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And I want you, just you and him, to assess the living of your life. Again, this week, 
as I mentioned last week, I kind of confronted, confronted with my own living, my own life, going, I need, I need to die more. Like, there's areas of my life that I wrestle with letting go, of actually putting on the altar of God as that beautiful sacrifice, that beautiful act of worship. If you're in this room, you're not alone, okay? Let's, let's put it on that altar. Let's let it die so that Christ might shine through us. Maybe it's just areas of surrender. Maybe it's areas of sin. Maybe there's things in your life that you've just been flat out disobedient. You know you're supposed to share the gospel with a friend. You know that God has been putting somebody on your heart that you need to talk to them about the beauty of Christ. And maybe you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Confess that. Repent of that. Die to that and say yes to him. Jesus, I thank you. thankful that his spirit is alive in this church. I am thankful that the cross, that he is for us in the cross, that he climbed upon that cross to take our sins. And it is my prayer for our church that he would open our eyes to the beauty of that. And that we would have the boldness and the courage to repent, to turn to follow him. So God, I pray. I pray for your church. I pray for this people. I pray for me. God, those areas that you've been speaking to me about this week, God, that I would turn from my uh, disobedience, that I would turn from it, that I would just finally say yes to you in those moments, and God, that I would walk wholeheartedly, dying to myself, dying to you, God, that I might live in you for the glory of your name. God, that each one of us in this church would do that. That each one of us in this church would do that. That each one of us in this church would say yes in these moments. And that we might be your church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Let's stand and let's worship together. <laughs>